Hello, this is Gideon Rothstein, and this is the fifth chapter of the book of Proverbs, Parakeh of Sefer Mishlei. It is a chapter that we are going to primarily be studying with the perspectives of Rashi. However, as I've noted on other occasions, Rashi on Mishlei is fairly minimal. He has a few interesting notes that go beyond just telling us the words, but much of the time he spends on just the words. So it's quite likely that by the end of today's parak, we will also have the opportunity to see a few additional comments of the Malbim, who lives after the Vilna Gaon. So in our review of commentaries, parak by parak, we have Rashi in the 11th century, we have Rabbeinu in the 13th century, we have the Ralbag in the 14th century, then we jump to the Gura, the Vilna Gaon in the 18th century, and the Malbim is in the late 19th century. But he will both follow Rashi and go beyond Rashi in ways that suggest something about how the flow of Jewish intellectual history went over this time, meaning the concerns that would bother uh, traditional commentators when they were studying the book of Mishle. So to get to the matter, the the, the Perek, the chapter opens up with the words, B'ni l'chachmati ha'kshiva v'tvunati ha'toznecha. Rashi doesn't comment here, it's a general comment to my wisdom, B'ni, my son to my wisdom, pay attention, to my insight, turn your ear. Since there is no Rashi, let me note the Malbim here, it says um, that when it comes to the ways of wisdom, the ways to achieve true wisdom, the Malbim says, I've already pointed out, there is no proof of these things. They are a tradition accepted through traditional means, and therefore you have to listen to them and accept them. He is picking up on the words, whereas you can turn your ear to but he's making the point, which I find still extremely valid today, that that to get traditional wisdom, to get an understanding of Torah and Torah view of the world, it is not true that it is simply a naked intellectual experience. It may be true that there is no such thing as a naked intellectual experience, that you can just begin with your mind sort of as Descartes said, I'm going to wipe away everything, start with no premises and see where it takes me. There may be value in that endeavor and you may achieve much by doing that, but the Malbim is pointing out, and I think it is correct, that for a traditional religious and orthodox and observant, whatever the right word would be, Jew, one who wants to find Hashem in the truest senses of what the Torah and what Misora and what the tradition, the Jewish tradition wants us to do, there needs to be an acceptance of prior assumptions that are not provable in a purely intellectual way. That, by the way, is different than the Rambam, who thought that it's not true, who thought that at least much of religious belief was provable, at least the basic belief in God, the Rambam thought was logically demonstrable in an ironclad way. It has not been accepted since then, uh, for many hundreds of years now, that that is true. Not that it's not true that there's a God, that it's not true that you can nakedly prove it to any reasonably intelligent person, you can just simply prove it. I might be convinced of it, and I might be certain of its truth, but that that requires accepting certain traditional beliefs in order to achieve what may actually be, what is actually the truth. In order that you can um, know the way to act. The GPS says that you may have foresight while your lips hold fast to knowledge. Right? Again, Rashi, the Bible says, When it comes to that, we're talking about those things that you know in a much more direct way, such as by sensing them, or by absolute intellectual proof, by absolute logical proof. So, and the, and the, I'm sorry, the Malbim says, and it's attributed to the lips, because Da'at is the kind of thing that you, um, 
that you can talk about and bring out and, and know. My father, Allah used to tell me that you only know something if you can prove it to somebody else or you can explain it to somebody else in a way that they can understand it and absorb it. Only then do you actually know it. The Malim seems to be saying something similar about Da'at here. So, Pazit Gimel, now we get to Rashi's already. Because the... Uh, the lips of, now, Nishaz Azara is a forbidden woman, a woman who is not uh, acceptable, allowed to you. And so they, Nofetitofna, the JPS thinks it means they drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Um, Rashi says, Sifte Zara, and this will be key to his whole understanding of the Perak, Sifte Zara, who is this foreign woman? It is a, an analogy, a proverb, a, a mashal for for lack of belief. Now, part of the reason I find that this Rashi, and it's many Rashi's in Mishnah, so stimulating is that we tend to think of Rashi, I tend to think of Rashi, as being non-philosophical, meaning it's not so deeply involved in the kind of rigorous thinking about deep theological questions that you expect from a Rambam, and then in the Rambam's wake from others who come after him, or from Rabbeinu Bachyev in Pekuda in Chovot Halvavot. Rashi doesn't generally engage in that. Rashi is generally a commentator. And yet, here in Mishle, and uh, I think biblical academics have noted it in Rashi's elsewhere, particularly in Shir Shirim, is going to be recognizing that there is a world of Apikorset out there. For in Rashi's time, the Apikorset out there was the Christianity that surrounded him. But Apikorset is, Sifte Zara, are the lips of a foreign woman. Pasuk Dalem Mara Kala Anachada. Rashi doesn't comment here, but the end of following such a Zara, meaning Rashi would be, if we follow what Rashi says to try to understand what he means, it would mean that following this foreign woman, this Apikorsud, will lead you to a bitter end, and it'll be sharper than a two-edged sword. Her legs lead you in a path. Her feet go down to death. Her step take hold of Sha'ol, meaning that if you allow yourself to get caught up in the Sepikarsud, that is the direction in which you will be being led. The Malbim says, and the Malbim goes a step further, meaning Rashi could have just read it. I don't know if there is no Rashi on this Psukim, but Rashi could have just read it as meaning. If you go all the way with Sepikarsud, you're going to end up in a bad place and in Sha'ol and in all these terrible things. But the Malbim goes a step further and says, If you get caught up in this heresy, your soul will die. And then he goes the step further is, That's death. But then, the second half of the Pasuk wasn't just that, that it leads to death. The Pasuk was, That even her step, her footprints, her footsteps lead to Sha'ol. Somebody who follows her path to use her analogies and her proofs, her philosophical proofs, won't be able to get out of there either. Meaning the Malbim is saying that the way of thinking of Apikors, of heresy, and he means of broader heresy, he probably by his time in the late 19th century means of science and the belief in nature and the scientific method as being the sole methods of finding truth, and that applied in philosophy as well. I think he means some, something of that in his intellectual realm. He's saying even following um, those paths, those ways of thinking will lead you wrong because you'll assume that you have to, I think he means, because you'll assume that you have to in order to find truth achieve it in the way that they've defined truth. But religious truths, as he said before, and godly truths are not found in that way. And if that's true, then you're going to have a hard time getting out of it, and maybe you won't be able to because you are so 
dedicated and committed to thinking in one way. And this is, in fact, one of the dangers that I think you can see even today in people who are scientifically oriented and intellectually oriented. Some of them stay fully religious and they, in some sense, bifurcate at least their ways of thinking. Now, you can bifurcate it extremely and say and be um, extremely simple in your faith, which has advantages and disadvantages. Or you can bifurcate and be sophisticated in faith in its way and sophisticated in science and other intellectual pursuits in their own way. But there is for many people a tension because they feel like, well, in science we come to absolute proofs based on evidence, etc., etc., etc. I could argue the question about science itself, but you have that sense. Science gives that sense of itself as achieving these absolute truths in this way that is incontrovertible. Uh, which may be questionable, but it's certainly the sense that science has of itself. And then when it comes to religion, we openly realize that there are many issues that we don't understand, we don't know, and we are struggling towards a better relationship and a better understanding and a better insight into God, and that that is a tenuous and difficult process. So that can be a, a continuing tension. And I think the Muhammad is referring to that tension when he says in this passage, passage okay, that those who have gotten so committed to that way of thought have a very difficult time um, getting out of it. And in the next passage, he says a similar thing, I just won't come back to it when I get to the next person, let me say it now, that if you get so used to doing things by proof and philosophy and stuff like that, to go back to emuna, to faith, and to recognizing there are certain things you have to accept on faith, can be an extremely difficult endeavor. So Pasuk Vav says, She doesn't chart a path of life. The JPS says her course meanders for lack of knowledge. So that is um, an example uh, that is adopting the version that Rashi really accepts, uh, that really prefers, which is that this is still talking about this Isha Zara, meaning Apikarsut, and that it's telling you that um, that following her is that you won't know the right way to go, and you'll be going on the way to Sha'ol, and you won't realize it until you really fall into it and become entrapped in it. For the Malvin, it'll be these ways of thinking that you won't even realize are leading you, even if they're not directly leading you to heresy, meaning nobody's saying to you, I'll prove to you that God doesn't exist, or I'll prove to you that you should only believe in science, even if none of that happens. The forms of thought, according to the Malvin, are themselves dangerous and problematic for the believing Jew. All of that is if you accept that this Pasuk really continues the discussion of the Shazara, but before he puts that in, although he does accept, he does prefer that view, Rashi also reports another interesting tradition of Chazal based on this Pasuk, which says that Hashem didn't tell you the level of reward given to various mitzvot, or Chaim Pentifales, because Hashem was not worried in that sense, but Hashem wanted to prevent the possibility of a person saying, I will do the important mitzvot, I'll do the mitzvot that get a lot of reward, and I'll leave the rest. And what I find interesting about this uh, version of it is that it's not Chazal denying that there is, are more and less important mitzvot. In fact, it would be that there are more important, more and less important mitzvot. It would be that nonetheless, we have an obligation to all the mitzvot. And, and, and that Hashem wants to avoid us thinking that just because there are more important mitzvot, that means we should do those and to the denial of others. It would be something like, if I'm going to give you a plate of dinner with uh, steak and potatoes and vegetables, so it may be that the steak is the central part of the meal. But it's vital to eat a balanced diet. And so if I were to tell you the main thing to eat here is the steak and you only ate steak the rest of your life, there would be serious deficiencies eventually in what's going on, even though it might be, and I'm 
picking steak as the example, maybe you'll argue that the vegetables are the more important part of the meal because they provide the fiber. That's not important in the analogy. Here too, there may be mitzvot that are more important than others, and yet here, at a similar Rashi in the beginning of Parashat Ekev, where you're supposed to keep all the mitzvot, Rabbi Yonah has a similar idea, that would be Rashi understanding it here, that Hashem is saying that to make sure that you don't calculate and say, I'll keep the important ones, that's why Hashem generally covered over and did not reveal the matan scharach mitzvot, the, the, the reward given for the mitzvot. So now, my sons, listen to me and don't turn away from what I'm telling you. Stay far away from... Keep your path far away from her and don't even go close to the opening to her house. So, again, if we're talking in the realm of Apikarsut, we're saying that you should make sure to avoid, in all ways, all of the the, the kinds of thoughts, according to Malbim, the kinds of thinking, not just the actual heresy, but the kinds of thinking that led to this heresy. You have to make sure to avoid those, or at least, I would say, if you want to nuance it a little bit, or at least understand where they apply, where they're appropriate, and make sure not to think that you need or should or could even apply them to realms where they're inappropriate. The worry is, according to Rashi, that you will then turn towards these other gods and give them your glory and your praise and your strength. And then you will be giving your years up. Rashi said, You will be giving up your years to the office of Gehinom, meaning by being caught up in this way of seeing the world and being part of this part of the world, you are forfeiting some of your strength and some of your power that should have been your years in Gan Eden in the future afterlife to doing it to the negative, to the punishing version of the afterlife. Lest, lest others get your strength and... Um, and in a house, uh, in a foreign house, your toil will be in there. So Rashi here says, And then for Atzavecha, your toil will go to a bait of Degildi. Meaning, I think Rashi is pointing out two different things at the same time. One is that when it comes to foreign firm, forms of worship, that they take money for it, and that money is money that's being taken from you, and by following the wrong way, you're going to be giving up money for non-valid reasons. It would be almost as if you watched a Sunday morning preacher and they have a, an address on the screen to support their ministry and you end up sending money to it. So the rest thing, aside from the heresy issues, you're giving up a lot of your strength and your power in the form of money to them. And then in addition to that, a lot of the toil and the work that you would put into religiosity would be going to a house of idol worship. Point perhaps being... We tend, we might sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that there's good religion, in our case Judaism, and then there's bad religion, and bad religion is a bunch of silliness, and it may be silly in its, in its ultimate meaning, and it may lack ultimate value, but it doesn't mean you don't put a lot of effort into it, and then what Mishnah would be warning us is, don't think that just because you're putting a lot of effort into religiosity, that you're doing it the right way and that you're achieving something by it. It's eminently possible to put a lot of effort into religiosity and to think that you're putting hard, good effort and you're becoming more religious. And in fact, it's all going for naught. That would be the case, according to Rashi, if somebody were to adopt Christianity for whatever reason and try to sincerely and and with effort uh, 
become a better and better Christian. So for that Jew, their effort is absolutely problematic and meaningless, and they will lose all the benefit from it. And that is what Mishlei is warning us about. And in the end, you're going to roar, you're going to be very upset when your flesh and your um, body are going to be consumed. So here, consumed could either mean by Gehenna or just consumed like they're all, they've run out because you've gotten older. And then you'll say, how did I reject discipline? How did I reject the rebuke? How, did I, how could I have done that? That's always a, a difficult challenge. There are many, many of us, I suspect, who if somebody came up to us and said, and in this instance I'm saying that, and they would be right. And they came and they said, you're doing the wrong thing, you're seeing the world the wrong way, you're, you're talking the wrong way, you're whatever it is, <coughs> all too often we would reject it, particularly those who have adopted an intellectual perspective or a religious perspective at odds with what the Torah actually wants. I recently got an email from a listener, which I always enjoy, at grothst at gmail.com, and he said, you know, I'm listening to your Shirim and Navi, and it sounds like the Navim are stressing all these things that I don't see Judaism today stressing. Big problem. So what if it were to be true that even within Judaism, even within those who think that they're observant, who are trying hard to be observant, that they're focusing in areas that the Torah and Chazal and the Nevi'im emphasize less, and then somebody comes along and says that to them and says, you have to change, and they say, no, no, I don't have to change, this is what it is, this is what I do, that would be part of this Pasuk I think, and then eventually you'll say, how could I have rejected this rebuke? So that, from my perspective anyway, when somebody comes and tells me that I'm doing something wrong, I always have to think about it. Often those people are just being uh, self-interested and they're just angry with me for their own reasons and they're representing rather than the truth what they want to have happen for their own reasons. But very, very often these people have something to say that I need to think about and I need to internalize and I need to gain from and grow from even if it may be painful, even if it may be upsetting. And that is part of the puzzle. That if we don't do such things, if we don't accept rebuke from those around us, the Amar Teixan Musar eventually will say, How could it be that I hated and I spurned rebuke? And I didn't listen to my teachers and I didn't turn my ear to those who were trying to teach me better truth. Um, soon after not listening, I was in dire trouble amidst, uh, amidst a whole assembled congregation. And Rashi says, It's just a small step between me and Gehinom. Klomar, and then this is Rav Yosef Karo, Rav Yosef Kara, who was an early biblical commentator, who said, It's a small step between listening and not listening. And that small step is where the difference between being in Gehenna or not being in Gehenna is, and, and that awareness of the fragility of our hold on goodness and our hold on our right to expect or to hope for a good outcome is part of what I think the chapter of Mishle, at least according to Rashi, is trying to stress for us that we shouldn't think, oh, it's fine, we ascribe to what we call Orthodox Judaism and we're all fine. So in Rashi's case, it really was a small step to actual heresy because in Rashi's time, there were periodic attempts to convert Jews and repeated attempts either coercively, forcefully, or just by having argumentations between Jews and Christians in which if the Christians won, many Jews would say, oh, they're right, we we uh, we had it wrong. So in their case, 
the small step was was very very small. But in I think in the world today, in the Western world today, for sure, the steps are also very small because people go to college, and in college they learn ideas and ways of thinking. If you want to go back to the Malbim's way of understanding it, they go back to they learn ways of thinking, and they and, and those ways of thinking can easily lead somebody to adopt the whole perspective of the world that is antithetical, at least in the religious realm, that is antithetical to the way Judaism sees the world, and that can be the step that leads you on the path to Gehinom, and it's something to be aware of and to, to, to struggle with. Interestingly to me, on this passage, the Mabim says, For one thing, which is the desire for this world, and the enjoyment of this world, which is actually not worth anything, and will only last for a little bit of time, because of this, I give away my attachment to religion. I, I wouldn't say this is true, perhaps, of all intellectuals and all those who take the modes of thought that Malmi was talking about, but I suspect that he means to imply that much of the intellectual uh, ferment that he is bothered by and that he sees as dangerous to religion, he also sees as based on an, uh, an excessive focus on this world. In the scientific realm, and he doesn't specifically sing out science, but in the scientific realm, I would say it perhaps this way. Much of the success of science has come from deciding to focus only on what can be seen and tested and can be evidence-based, and that has had extreme value for making discoveries that have tremendously advanced the comfort and the safety and the health of human beings. So meaning that it is a, a strategy that has been very appropriate and very successful in a, in a wide range of areas, in medicine, in physics, in chemistry, in biology, in lots and lots of areas. But it does involve, if we're going to adopt this modern perspective, it does involve an exclusive focus on this world. In its realm, that's appropriate. But the danger is, and this is where the small little window appears, the danger is becoming just caught up in that world and losing sight of the other world and losing sight of Akadosh Baruch losing sight of God and religion and spirituality and all those areas that are at best less amenable to science and the scientific approach the scientific way of thinking and the philosophical way of thinking as well you should drink water from your uh, pit or your well your own cistern Running water from your own well, Rashi says. Excuse me, Rashi says, "Mi from the well that God gave you, meaning Torah and Moshe, and then Nozlim." Um, first, Rashi says, first they they are like water that just gathers together in a pool, and afterwards they spring out and they go. If you start drinking from them, then they start going further. And eventually, if you start drinking this way, you drink from traditional knowledge and you build up your your own intellect by um, taking from the wells of old and drinking thirstily and heartily from them. So eventually, your own springs will gush forth and in the public square, you'll have much, much water pouring out. Rashi sees this as meaning that eventually you yourself will become a scholar and a representative of the Torah tradition and you will have students and you will teach Torah in public but the first step of it was that you trod you trod yeah, you treaded? 
You went down a traditional path. You walked a traditional path. You accepted from before. You drank of the old wells. You drank of the old water. You absorbed it. And it was in doing that, you then were able to have your own thoughts and ideas from within that tradition spring forth and you could set up and you eventually set up and became a scholar and a teacher of your own and when you do such a thing whereas before Rashi points out whereas before we said that when you work with Avodah and Apikor so the money goes to them and you get no value from it because you're not going to get any reward from it here you will get all of the honor for this Torah that you've absorbed and are now giving forth to others and others will get nothing out of it in terms of reward. The Malvin points out or suggests that even even it's also true that the Talmudim, the students you develop will also be a credit to you and will redound. Not only will they get reward for their study, but you will get reward for their study and that's also part of this Let your origins, let your fountain be blessed and find joy in the wife of your youth. So now meaning that instead of turning to the Isha Zara, you're going to turn to the Torah, which, as Rashi says, you learned in your youth, meaning your youth as a nation, and that in sticking with and being faithful to this original wife, Torah, uh, this wife of our youth, we will get to better results and better and better outcomes. Next pasuk pasuk yudet. A loving doe, a graceful mountain goat, um, let her breast satisfy you at all times, meaning be affectionate with love of her always, meaning that now that we've uh, expressed the dangers of the Ishazara, of the foreign woman, and we've expressed the value of sticking with the wells as we used them before, of drinking of those wells, now we're turning the metaphor into this is your wife that you should stick with, your faithful spouse that you should be faithful to. So you should stick with it always and that will will uh, fortify you and be good for you. Rashi quotes a medrash that he saw in Rav Moshe Hadashan that you should always tishke bevata tishke tishke usually implies a, a mistake or an error but Rav Moshe Hadashan thought just that it meant ta'asok you should always be involved in the study of Torah but here I think it means in the love of Torah and its way of thinking meaning that one who loves Torah and its way of thinking and adopts it and is always involved in it, even when they go to other strate- other areas of thought and areas of life and other strategies of thinking, they keep the Torah perspective with them and it always infuses and um, shapes how they approach other topics as well. And then he quotes a Gemara in Erevin, Rashi does, you might even not be able to give full and complete attention to your other asakim. And he used to say about Rabbi Lazar, but that when he was involved in Torah, so he would be in one place and he would forget his coat and his clothing in another place. Um, meaning that when you get truly involved in Torah, you can't become truly devoted to any other form of thinking. You can adopt it, you can learn how to do it, you can learn how to be involved in it, but you can't be as fully attached to it because it is, after all, only a piece rather than the entirety of your of your perspective. Why should you turn to a foreign woman and and, and, and hug uh, a, a, a stranger? The Malbi here just 
as an interesting point, suggest there are two kinds of non-Torah wisdoms. There's the non-Torah wisdom, Azara, who's strange and foreign to you, but has some value. You could gain some things from it. But a Nochriya, it would be like idol worship, which has no value whatsoever, and there you can never get you can never get anything from it. Hashem pays attention to everything you do and weighs it and punishes or doesn't punish you on the basis of it. And his sins will uh, capture a rasha, capture an evildoer, and he will be uh, destroyed. He will be uh, and he will be caught up in the ropes of his sin. And he will die without ever having accepted discipline or for lack of discipline <coughs> excuse me having been infatuated by his great folly meaning that another element in all of this as the Malbim said was that his refusal to accept rebuke and then the Malbim says and at some point he won't even be able to accept rebuke even if he starts getting punishment and the reason will be because he's an avil, and an avil, the Malbim says, is matil svekut bechol davar. An avil is somebody who's never sure, he's always doubting. So you say to him, this obviously happened because Hashem was angry. You know, there's some catastrophe happens to the Jewish people. This happened because in some way Hashem was upset the Jewish people. He's doubting it. So then that person can never accept discipline because they never noticed the discipline. And that will be the end of this person. So for Rashi, we're talking about an involvement in Apikarsut in heresy. For the Malbim, that's true, but it's a way of thinking. And that way of thinking prevents us from seeing the truth and accepting the truth in lots and lots of ways. And that will then lead us down negative paths that we will never be able to get away from. Have a great day.